turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. I am really uh, eager and somewhat excited to, to get back in this book. We have been going through the entire book of Colossians here at uh, Epiphany Church, and it's been really good. By the way, for those of you who don't know me, uh, I saw some new hands up. I am uh, Brandon Watts, lead pastor here at Epiphany Church. We've been going through the entire book of Colossians, and it's been, it's been really good. Uh, such a relevant book for the culture and time in which we live in. Just like in, in the town of Colossia, the church, in, in the church of Colossia, um, our, our culture also deals with distortions of Jesus, distortions of the gospel. Paul deals with it in this letter, lack of understanding of biblical community. Paul deals with it in this letter, le- uh, in this letter and uh, just like the church here, our church is influenced deeply by a, um, heavily influenced by false teaching. Paul deals with that. The whole letter is written because of false teachers. And so Paul deals deeply with it. But that's one of the things I love about about the word is that, I mean, this book, this letter was written somewhere around between 58 and 62 A.D., but it still is relevant. It's not outdated. Like we, we don't read this and be like, ah, that doesn't apply to our culture. No, it really it really does. Everything we've read so far, we were able to uh, to apply to our culture. Let's, uh, let's read and then I'll, I'll pray and then we can just jump in. Uh, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your, mind, set your minds on things above, not on things of the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden within Christ, in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Let's, let's pray. Uh, Father, I am uh, grateful for this crew uh, that has uh, bundled up, you know, packed the kids in the car, uh, jumped on trains and buses. Uh, some of us walked. And, and uh, I'm just grateful that you allow us to be able to gather ourselves together. We don't have to hide to come together for corporate worship um, in fear of opposition, but we can come and freely worship Jesus Christ. And we pray that you would bless our time together today. We pray for the word. Um, we are in great anticipation for the word. We wouldn't have came out in this cold for anything else. Uh, but we pray that you would speak to us through what you've already spoken to uh, through this letter. Uh, pray that I would be faithful to this word, to, to this text, and that you would grant me physical strength. Uh, open our eyes, open our understanding, open our hearts to hear from you. It's in Christ's uh, beautiful name we do pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, someone once said a person, I, I just want to label this message, um, uh, set your mind on things above. Set your mind on things above. Someone once said a person has to keep his feet on the earth, but his head in heaven. Keep his feet on, on the earth, but his head should be in heaven. Now that becomes extremely, extremely difficult in the culture in which we live in. Would you guys agree? Especially in New York, like the fast pacedness of life, always doing something, always. I mean, we have everything, meetings, phone calls, text messages, FaceTime, social media. It's so much f- uh, vying for our, our attention, fighting for our attention, work, school, uh, extracurricular activities with our kids. My, my son, my oldest son is in... Um, in, in, in robotics, and so it's always something that we are thinking about doing. But Paul is so clear in this passage 
that our mind should be set on things above. It's easy to have our mind on the things of the earth when we're constantly going and thinking, constantly going and thinking. But Paul deals deeply with uh, where the Colossians' minds are. Look at verse number one. And, and keep your Bibles out, those of you who, who are, this is your first time here. We normally just bounce back and forth. We're going to go through each verse, so if you could just keep your Bibles out the entire time. If then you have been raised with Christ, Paul is repeating uh, language that he's already used in chapter 2, verse number 12, where he talks about being raised with Christ. Now keep in mind, this is one letter, right? This isn't broken up into sections. We have chapters and, 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 and verses for our benefit so that we can know where to go. But when this was written, this was written in one letter. And so Paul repeating himself shows us, the, re- the repetitive nature of Paul repeating himself shows us the, in- the importance and the attention on what he is saying. When you repeat yourself over and over again, you're saying something that you want the listener to, uh, to hear. But Paul, he, he does something great. He tells us that if we've been raised with Christ, in order to understand what it means that we're raised with Christ, we have to first believe and understand that Christ was raised, that Christ himself was raised. That's such a huge part. And you, you would be surprised how much the, the, the first century ter- church had to deal with as it relates to Christ being raised. That's a huge, they tried to distort this fact. You in this room will not understand what it means that we are raised with Christ unless we understand that he was raised. Now, the tomb is the, great, the, the greatest pointer to uh, Christ being raised. We can get on a flight right now and, and go to Jerusalem and look at the tomb and it's empty. It's, it's empty. He's not there. It's empty. And so that is the greatest pointer. But Paul, I mean, 1 Corinthians 15, Paul spends an entire chapter, I mean, talking about the resurrection of Christ. An entire chapter he's talking about. It. It's essential to our belief. The, the death of Christ, the de- his death is the check that we needed in order to, for, for our, the payment of our sins to be permanent. But the resurrection is proof that the check cleared. The resurrection shows us that what Jesus Christ said actually did come to pass. This is what Paul says in, in, in the first verse and first to fifth, actually first to sixth verse of First Corinthians 15. He says, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you in which you received, in which you stand, in which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, look at the priority. The, the, the message I delivered to you is of first importance. What I received, that Christ has died for our sins in accordance with the scripture and that he was buried. And here it is. And he was raised on the third day, accordance with the scriptures. And then he appeared to Cephas, to 12, and then to 500. And so, in other words, what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 15, he's proving that Christ rose. And he's proving it by saying, man, I have eyewitnesses. Go talk to Cephas. Go talk to 500. I talked to you guys about the, the Constitution. Uh, my family and I used to live in Philadelphia, and we used to live uh, around the corner from the Constitution. In fact, my board, the Constitution, we lived around the corner from where it was signed, Independence <laughs> Hall. Um, it's actually in D.C. now, so it's not even there anymore. But it was signed at Independence Hall. My boys used to go to school behind where, uh, where it was signed. And if you look at the Constitution, they, they have a, a, a mock Constitution in Independence Hall. And uh, if you look at it, it's signed by 40 men. 
Only 40 people, eyewitnesses, 40 eyewitnesses. Now, the Constitution is supreme law. You cannot, there's no law that can go above the Constitution. But it is supreme law. We submit to the Constitution right now. I don't know if you guys heard the Republican debate last night. That's all they talked about was the the Constitution and the Constitution. We, as Americans, live by the Constitution. But it was signed by 40 men. Paul is saying 500 brothers have seen Jesus. And then he says, most of them are still alive. So go talk to them. Why am I beating this point to you? Because it's extremely important for you to understand what it means that we're raised with Christ. That means that Christ had to have been raised. And if Christ was raised, then we actually have hope. Uh, have hope. Now, you may be asking, and if you're not, you should be asking, what are we raised from? What am I raised from? Paul deals with that two books before this one in Ephesians chapter 2. We were dead in, our, in the trespasses of our sins. We were dead. Like, there's, there's no, you, we weren't sick, we weren't hurt. We didn't need a Band-Aid. We needed new life. And so Paul tells us, by the time he gets to verse number 5 in Ephesians 2, he says, but God made us alive together with Christ. Another way to say that is resurrection. He raised us with Christ. And so Paul saying, if you then have been raised with Christ, he's saying Christ has been raised, and those that have placed their faith securely in the person and work of Jesus, we too have been raised with Christ. Is that not good news? See, people that know that you were dead in the trespasses of your sins, you should be rejoicing at the fact that God raised us with Christ. That's huge. That's, that's huge for us. And so the resurrection of Christ was important. The whole thing hinges upon if Christ was raised. If Christ was raised, we have no argument and we have no hope of ourselves being raised. Why? Because we were, it's a, it's a doctrinal term called totally depraved. We were, at, we were incapable of our saving ourselves, incapable of having affections for the Lord, but Christ raised us. Notice that Christ raises us from the dead. We don't raise ourselves. There's no amount of good works you can do. There's, there's not a, you can't conjure up goodness. Or let me say, not even goodness, perfection. We can't conjure that up. So we get that purely based on uh, Jesus Christ. If then, first one, you have been raised with Christ, Seek the things that are above. Notice he tells them to seek the things that are above. Now, let me tell you what's above by telling you what's not above. Nothing that we see materialistic, nothing that we see on a painting. Like We're not seeking a a golden chair and and a, a robe with sparkles on it. That's not what we're seeking. We're seeking where Christ is. When it says seek the things that are above, it's talking about Christ's sovereign rule and Christ's reign. And so I'm getting that from from chapter one when he talked about how Christ created all things in heaven and on earth. And it was created not just through him, but it was created for him. And so when we seek the things that are above, we're actually seeking. uh, We're seeking Christ. Furthermore, notice the word seek. Don't run past that. Notice it doesn't say sought. This is a present ongoing reality. We should be consistently seeking on a consistent basis, we should be seeking the things that are, uh, that are above. Now, now I, I know you're probably saying, well, pastor, how do I do that? How do I seek? Like, what does that even mean? What does that look like? Like, give me practical nuggets for how I seek. The easiest way, the most consistent way for us to seek the things that are above is through prayer. It's through prayer. 
That's the, that's the single way. Now, let me just say, speak for my generation. I can't speak for uh, anyone else's generation. I can speak for mine. My generation lacks faithfulness in prayer. Can, can someone from my generation just back me up and say amen? amen? Like we lack, we do, we lack, we lack consistency in prayer. We lack, lack faithfulness in prayer. I'm not sure if we don't understand the, 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 the power that's in prayer, but we, man, we can go through our entire day. We'll, we'll tweet uh, and we'll vent on Facebook before we actually go to the Lord and vent. Like we'll call our friends when we get in a jam and we'll talk to them about our situation and never had prayed about it. I, I was living across the street or in the same building actually from uh, a guy. He's a pastor from Africa. And, and I said, man, what's the biggest difference you see as it relates to Christianity here in America? He says, man, you guys don't pray enough. So I'm like, well, well what do you mean? He said, well, when, when you get sick, the first thing you do is go to the doctor. In Africa, when we get sick, the first thing we do is pray. It's the first thing we do. Our generation lacks faithfulness in prayer. We do so much other, so many other things besides praying. But Paul is saying here to seek the things that are above. And we seek by praying. H.B. Charles, pastor of Shiloh Baptist Church in Jacksonville, Florida, is quoted by saying, prayerlessness is a declaration of independence, but needy people pray. When you know that you are, you've reached your wits end, there's nothing you can do, you pray. But those who don't pray, what you're saying is, because that's all prayer is. All prayer is, is showing God that I am dependent on you. See, we think that prayer is, is all about God answering the prayer. No, the, the, the power in prayer is for you, even with minute things, to be able to say, Lord, I can't do this if you're not, if you're not in it. It's just that simple. And so Paul is, is, is beating this course here, seek, not sought. Not seek at when you first are saved, but your lifestyle should be marked by a consistent prayer life. Now, I don't know what your prayer life looks like, but Jesus says this about prayer in Matthew 7, 7. He says, ask, and he's going to use the same, the same language here. Ask, and it will be given to you. Here it is. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. And so, man, if you get nothing else from my sermon today, man, I pray that you walk out of here and develop a a stronger, more faithful, more consistent prayer life. More consistent with prayer life. Why? Because Paul tells us to seek. There's there's a little bit more in this in this first verse that I want to I want to get out. It's almost like when when I ask my sons to wring out the rag in the shower, you know, they do a little ring and it's still soaking wet. I want to take this verse and try to squeeze as, as much as we can out of it. If then you have been raised with Christ. Seek the things that are above. I love this part. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Notice that Christ is seated at the right hand of God. He's not kneeling at the right hand of God. He's not laying at the right hand of God. Christ is seated in a position of honor, seated in a position of power, seated in a position of authority. And so when you seek, you're not seeking a weak God. You're not seeking someone who can't do anything about what you're seeking him or what you're praying for. You're seeking a Christ that is seated in a position of authority. Notice that he's seated. That is such a power. It's such a consistent teaching throughout the New Testament that Christ is seated at the right hand of God. The Old Testament would have shown that the right hand of God was, was authority and strength. That's where Christ is seated in, in a position of authority 
and strength. Now, why is this important? Because the false teachers are in Colossae teaching them to worship angels. But you can't walk away and read this verse where it says Christ is seated at the right hand of God and say he's just merely an angel. No, his position alone in this text lets us know that he and he alone is the one that needs to be worshipped. Christ and Christ alone is. Now, when is the first time we see him seated? Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 shows us the first time that Christ took a seat at the right hand of God. It says, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the majesty on high. Let me tell you why that's crazy. Here's why that's crazy. In the Old Testament, when the, when the, when the priest would make purifications for sins, he would try to get out of the holies, the holies, as quick as possible. I don't know if, they, if there's a, Bible doesn't show this, but there's history shows that they would tie a rope around the ankle of the high priest so that when he goes into the holies of holies to make purifications for sin, if he dropped dead and they would put bells on the bottom of his robe so that they can hear him moving, if you stop hearing noise, they'd have to drag him out because he didn't, he didn't do the sacrifice right. And so what priests would do is they would run into the holy of holies They'd perform the sacrifice as they were supposed to, and then they would get out. They would get out as quick as possible, or they would drop dead and be pulled out. What makes Christ unique, what makes Christ dope, is that Christ makes purification for sin, and then he sits on down. Do you you see the, the dopeness of Christ? Do you see the uniqueness of Jesus? Jesus doesn't perform. He doesn't need a rope tied around his ankle. He, all, he can walk into the holies of holies, make purifications for sin, and then sit down at the right hand of God. He doesn't have to run out. He doesn't have to do a drive-by purification for sin. He can literally make the sin. And th- here's the other thing about Christ. He is the only one in all of Scripture that is the priest that prepares the sacrifice and the sacrifice. Every other priest had to go and find the sacrifice slit his throat, do the whole thing, and make purifications one time a year on Yom Kippur, Jesus is the only one that is able to go in and say, hey, I'm the priest, oh, and I'm the sacrifice as well. And then he sits on down. He sits down at the right hand of God in a seat that is full of power. The only time in Scripture that we see Christ standing is Acts chapter 7 when when Stephen is stoned. The stoning of Stephen, the Bible says that that Stephen looks up and he gazes into heaven. And when he gazes into heaven, what he sees is Christ standing at the right hand of the Father. So in other words, when Christ saw that his people was in trouble, he took it from his seat position and stood on up. That's the, this is the, the God that we serve. The one that we are seeking is the one that actually cares about your situation. What you're going through, he's, he knows, he's, sta- he's standing in a position ready to act on your behalf. This is the Christ that we serve. So don't run past the fact that Christ is seated in a right, at the right hand of God in a position of power. Verse number two, set your minds on the things that are above and not on the things that are on the earth. Notice this, that, that Paul doesn't just tell us now, he's more explicit. He doesn't just say, set your mind on things that are above. Now he tells us where not to set our minds. He says, set your minds on things above. And by the way, don't set them on the things of the earth. Things of the earth are are temporary. Like everything on the earth right now that you can see 
is temporary. It will pass away. Like I was looking at my drawer this morning, uh, my drawer, and I, and I pulled it out. It's the junk drawer. And I saw my iPhone 4 in, in the drawer. Now, I remember like going online, can't wait till the iPhone 4 comes out. And now it's sitting in my junk drawer. Like everything in your life that you are passionate about that's on the earth will be in the junk drawer soon. There's nothing that, that you can hold that will last. And so when Paul says, seek the things that are above, don't seek the things on the earth, he is clearly making a contrast be- between seeking heavenly things and earthly things. I'm convinced that most of us would not be in a cycle of sin if we sought the things of, of, that are above and not the things of the earth. Most of us in this room, and all of us in here have some, like, can we, can we take the church face off? All of us in here, every, from the youngest to the oldest, to the babies in the room, every one of us in here have sin. Every one of us. Every one of us. And so the, the, the goal of Christianity is not for you to try, to try to fix or control your sin. The goal of Christianity is to submit it to the things that are above. Submit it to Christ, where Christ is. That's why we submit it to the things that are above. Why? Because Christ is there, and he's seated on the right hand of God. So everything we see is, is temporary. This is what Jesus says as he relates to the contrast between heaven and earth. He says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 and 20, he says, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on the earth where moth rust where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Verse 20, but lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. We put too much stock in things on the earth. Like think, like if, if I asked you what was the most important thing in your life right now, many of you would give me stuff on the earth. Well, you know, and, and here's the crazy part about it. Most of it is good stuff. So maybe it's your family and, you know, uh, other stuff that, that may be good. But what Paul is showing us here is that what we need to do is set our, not just minds, but our affections. This word minds points to the affections. Set your affections, your desires. And, yeah, you have desires. Set them on the things that are above. And so what, what you think on, really, it, it really impacts your spiritual growth. We think on stuff that we should not think on. Stuff pops in our mind and we entertain it. We need to be setting our minds consistently on the things above. I'm, I'm told of a story of uh, a jewelry owner, a jewelry store owner, and it was his time to get married. And so he now takes a ring. He's normally selling rings. He now has a ring that he's about to put on his, uh, his wife's finger. And so he gets to the ceremony, takes the ring, and he's about to put it on her finger. And he's, he starts to quote these words. He says, with this ring... And then he says, we guarantee you a full refund if you're not satisfied. <laughs> because it was on his mind. What was on his mind was what he constantly, it was ingrained in what, so your thoughts become actions. Don't get it twisted. If you've fallen in any type of way, your falling was based on a series of thoughts that you had. <laughs> From the, everybody in here, your thoughts are based on, your actions are based on your thoughts. This is why Paul tells us to think on things that are honorable and just and pure and lovely and commendable, excellent, worthy of praise. Think on these things. Have you ever been doing something and a, a, a negative thought popped in your mind? Like some of y'all in church right now and <laughs> negative thoughts have popped in. 
your mind. Have you ever been like, like just scrolling through Facebook or Instagram and you stop and you look at that one picture too long and negative thoughts, y'all got quiet on me. <laughs> y'all got, y'all just left me all the way out there. <laughs> Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, 5, he says, take every thought captive. Like we have to take these thoughts and put them under, uh, not even under, put them on the things above. You have to rebuke your own thoughts. So let's keep going. Verse number three. For you have died and your life is hidden within with Christ in God. You have died. That is the Christian walk. The Christian walk is dying daily to yourself. Do you realize how selfish we are? Like Second Corinthians 5.15 says that Christ died that those who live may no longer live for themselves. In other words, the DNA of all of Christianity is selfishness. I mean, uh, humans. The DNA of hum- humanity is selfishness. Christianity is dying daily to our own uh, self and our own sin. That's why Paul says, are we to continue in sin? No, we can't continue in, continue in sin. He says, how can you who have died to sin live in it? Like, do you realize those of you who have placed your faith in Jesus, you have died to sin? How can we live in it? We must consistently die. Now, this next verse, and, and, and I'm going to, I want to be honest with you. This next verse, I literally read, closed my Bible up, put my coat on, went outside, and took a walk. Because I had to wrestle with this next verse because a series of questions came to my, my mind. And one of them uh, is a rhetorical question that I want to ask you, which is, is Christ your life? Notice what he says here. Verse number four, when Christ... Who is your life? Like, notice that this doesn't say that Christ, who's the purpose of your life, Christ, who is the the goal of your life, the source of your life, is Christ your life. In other words, if if Christ is not a part of your life, do you have reason to live? Like, I'm just telling you, me personally, if, if Christ isn't central, the central figure of my life, take me out of here. Like, I... Kick, I'll kick the bucket. There's no other reason for me to live. As much as I love my wife, as much as I love my kids, I can't effectively love them if Christ isn't central in my life. And so if he's central, now I have reason to live. See, most of us put Christ in, in, into, this, into this compartment and we'll pull him out and do our Christ thing and then we'll go back to the world. Like, he, he can't be in a compartment. He has to be your life. He has to be every aspect of who we are. This verse doesn't say he's a piece of our life. It says that he is our life. He is everything. I, I'm, there's a story of a hermit. Anybody know what a hermit is? A hermit, for you, those of you who may not know, is a person that lives in solitude for religious discipline. And this hermit goes um, down to a river, and he begins to pray. And this, this young man comes by, and he says, Man, I want to be your disciple. And so the hermit says, well, why do you want to be my disciple? I want to be your disciple because I want, to, I want to worship Jesus like you worship him. And so the hermit grabs him by his neck, takes him down to the river, and plunges him under the water for a minute. He's kicking, he's screaming, and he's under the water because the hermit just has him under the water. He brings him out of the water, and he says, the hermit says, what did you want most of all? And, and, and the, the young man says, I wanted air. And he says, very well, well, go home and come back when you want Christ as much as you want air. Like, do you want Christ that much? 
Like, do you want him to be your life to where you don't even want to breathe if he's not a part of your life? Like, you don't want to move. You don't want to get out of bed. You don't want to, you're like depressed if he's not a part of your life. If, he, if he's not, not just a part, if he's not your life, is he your life today? Is he your, not, not a piece of your life, but is he, is he most important, even more important than the air that you breathe? That's an important question that most of us must wrestle with. The reason I had to put on my coat and go outside and wrestle with this, because I had to say to myself, man, is he really, is he really my life? Like, I know I can, I can come together and I can bring us together and I can preach about him. I can show you him in Scripture. I can go to the Old Testament prophets and say, well, here's Jesus. I can do all of these nice little wonderful things, and so can you. But the question is, forget that. Is he your life? Do you actually believe what you preach, what you teach, what you talk about, what you've confessed at the first time you said, I believe in Christ? Is he everything to you? Everything. And, yes, I'm, I'm standing on this point in and belaboring this point because I want you to, I want you to self-reflect. It's a rhetorical question. Is he everything to you? And if he's not everything to you, today is a good day. Today's a good day for him to be everything to you. I wouldn't leave out of this room if he's not everything to me. Don't walk out and, and let him not be the central figure of your life. He doesn't want visitation rights. He doesn't want visitation rights. Christ wants soul custody of the central place in your life. Think on those things that if they, uh, if you lost these things, you would be devastated. Like, think on those things. Is Christ one of those things? Not that you can lose him, but if he's not, like, if you, if you can honestly say, and I will go home and write them down, what are things that if I lost them, I would slip deeply into depression? Right now, if I lost them. A job, your degree, whatever it, whatever it is, if I lost this thing, I'm done. We put our identity in so much stuff. We are setting our affections, as Paul said, put your mind on things above. We're setting our affection on things that are on the earth. Christ must be your life. Every head bowed. Some of you in here will, if you're honest, if you're honest on any level, some of you in here will, um, will, will, will confess today to the Lord that you are, you are living a life that he's not central. He's just a piece of it. He, he has a room in the house. He's a guest. He stays sometimes. When, when I need him, I'll, I'll give him a call. Um, but he's not everything. Do you realize that Christ is seated right now on the right hand of the Father in a position of power? Why do we not make that person completely central in our lives? My hope today for you is, is, is that you wouldn't hear, hear this word, walk away and say, man, that was great, but I'm just not ready for him to be central. Do you realize that tomorrow is not promised for you? Like, you could walk out of here and be done today. Apart from Jesus Christ, we have no hope of salvation. There's no hope for for eternal salvation with Christ. There's absolutely no hope. You can go to God on Judgment Day with your little list of good things that you've done. You will be crushed. 
The only hope we have is the one that's seated on the right hand of the Father right now. That's the only hope you have. You have to place your faith in that Christ. And then after you've placed your faith, let him be your life. Spiritual growth apart, spiritual growth apart from him is, is just, it's an oxymoron. It's, it can't happen. And so if you're basing your spiritual growth on getting up in the morning and praying at 6 o'clock, that's not spiritual growth. Spiritual growth is he's my life. He's everything. He's all I got. We bank our chips 100% on Jesus. The moment you stand before God, every, every head bowed, the moment you stand before God and point to anything that you've done is, is, a, is a long day for you. But Christians stand before God and point to Jesus and be like, he secured it. He locked the position that I have in, in, in heaven based on his perfect righteousness. Seek him. Seek him today. Let's pray. Father, we are, um, we're undone, man. We're messy. All of us, like, we're messy. We're dysfunctional. On good days, we're dysfunctional. And we've kind of run through this life with functional dysfunction. It's become normal for us. We're numb, we're numb to you. We know how to do our Jesus thing. We know how to come in here. We know how to get in, in our small group circles and talk about Christ. We know how to put on the church face. We know how to open our Bibles and read them. But are you our life? Convict us today. Those that are honest will, that will say that Christ is my, not my life. Would you convict our hearts? Cut us deep today. Let us not feel comfortable walking out of here with a lukewarm Christianity. There's no such thing. We're hot or cold, period. Would you convict us today, Lord? We don't want to do this Jesus thing on the side. This is not a side hustle for us. This is our main, this is the goal. If he's not the goal, Father, convict us. Let us know today. Maybe somebody in here doesn't know you. Father, I pray that, pray that you would work on their hearts today. Let them feel uncomfortable to the place that they would talk to somebody in here and say, man, I want to give my life to this Christ. This Christ that is seated at the right hand of the Father, I want to give my life to him because he's my only hope. He's my only hope for Christ-likeness, and he's my only hope for salvation. So, Father, be glorified in our lives. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.